I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everyone. It's Brian with 12 Pack Radio, and we have another great interview with us from one of our friends that covers the Pac-12, and that's West Coast College Football. And really great conversation that, and we just cover a wide swath of stuff. The one thing I want to mention was we recorded this last Sunday and work just got in the way and wasn't able to publish this episode as quickly as I could. And so a number of things have broken since then. One of them, like the most important one is uh, Morgan Scally at Utah was, has been retained and will be their defensive coordinator, which is great news if you're a Utah fan uh, from a football perspective, which is a great defensive mind there. We didn't cover that because it hadn't broken yet. <laughs> so uh, we weren't jumping over it, but, uh, you know, it, it's the it's a beautiful world of podcasting. In any case, um, we'll talk about that next week. Really hope that you enjoy this episode. I think it's a great interview, and we'll catch you soon. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous two-time champs and feel the It's a new game. Yes, it is. For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 gambling advice with William Hills, Max Meyer, and the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model with Mr. Rob Barron. Thank you for joining us. This is Brian Conger, and we continue to stumble, fall, swim, just struggle our way into the real college football season. Thank you for staying with us. We have a really great guest, uh, another one on the podcast. Uh, it was great to have our friends from Pick 6 Podcasts on the last episode, and what we wanted to do is bring on some really smart minds that are covering college football from different aspects and uh, one of the one of the followers that I've been able to uh, just get a ton of information on was West Coast Football um, on Twitter it's just a great great account like one of my favorite and and not only does he cover Pac-12 football but the Mountain West which is uh, near and dear to Rob's heart I'll let him talk about that but it's also great for me to kind of keep a look at um, what I see as kind of like the feeder programs to the Pac-12 so Zach Hill being a great example going to Boise State uh, going from Boise State to Arizona State. Um, we'll probably talk about that with him in a moment. Um, but I just uh, let, let's just get into it. Wanted to introduce him. Uh, West Coast football. What's going on? Hey, not much, guys. Thanks for having me on, and looking forward to talk football with you guys. Yeah, and real fast. Well, also, hey, Rob, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm flattered that you know we're I'm one of the smart people to talk football with. I, I'm here. From present, right? <laughs> uh, we are all present and accounted for. Max, by the way, is taking the week off. He'll be back next week as we continue to go through. We're going to preview the defensive line um, next week and all the, the units throughout the conference. And uh, as we get into this, so we're going to do two things in this podcast. First, we're going to talk with West Coast football about West Coast football, particularly the Pac-12, dip a little bit into the Mountain West. I'm sure Rob has questions. I have a ton of questions uh, for him um, just about the conference and the way that he approaches his coverage. And then we're all also going to do a fun segment at after the break where we're going to nominate players 
for the for our all Pac-12 preseason team. And this will just be nominations. So we're going to vote some people off the island, and then we're going to put some people on the island to discuss in subsequent podcasts and kind of narrow that list down to what we believe will be uh, a solid preseason Pac-12 list. So with all that said, um, tell us a little bit, uh, West Coast Football, about about what, what you're doing. You have a great website. I love your Twitter feed. Just You just tweet out constant a constant stream of stuff. It reminds me of Sharp College Football, just focused on the Pac-12. Um, what do you got going right now? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we're looking to just put a, you know, entire West Coast spotlight on Pac-12 players, coaches, uh, the programs, the conference, uh, and then also on Mountain West programs. And, you know, I like what you said about, you know, Mountain West programs can be a, you know, feeder uh, from a coaching perspective into the Pac-12. So, you know, even if you're not a Mountain West uh, fan, you know, it's important to follow it, you know, because, those coaches can become your next head coach, your next offensive coordinator, your next defensive coordinator, um, and so on down, you know, so it's, you know, and we're looking just to, you know, keep putting out quality content and just keep raising awareness of the great level of football being played in the Pac-12 and Mountain West. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to dive into immediately was your take on Washington state. So, right. Rolovich comes over from Hawaii Mountain West school. He brings over a defensive coordinator from Wyoming and, Right before we started recording, one of the teams that we had brought up was Washington State. I think it's a team that can have high highs and low lows, depending on how that coaching staff puts itself together and really how the team is able to adapt to the switch in scheme. Can you tell our Washington State fans, just Pac-12 fans in general, what to expect from Rolovich and what to expect from really a a highly regarded defensive coordinator over at Wyoming? Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, Washington State, uh, you know, they had a great thing going under Leach, you know, for the past about five years now. Um, those were very, very good teams. They're winning about, you know, eight to 11 games consistently. Um, you know, and now I got to bring a new coach in. Um, you know, I think that Rolovich has a perfect personality for Wazoo and their fans. Uh, he's done a great job kind of just, you know, relating to the fan base and bringing excitement there. Um, you know, from a scheme perspective, it's, shouldn't be too rough of an adjustment uh, compared to other offenses. Um, you know, it's not like Wazoo's moving to a pro style or run heavy scheme. So run and shoot still, should still be a pretty easy adjustment for them. Uh, and like you said, getting Dickert from Wyoming was really an amazing hire. I mean, their defense, I think ranked like 11th last year at Wyoming. So landing a DC like him is pretty huge. Uh, why Hawaii's biggest issue last year was their defense was not very good. Um, so, you know, he didn't bring his DC over and said, God, Dickert from Wyoming. I think that that, you know, next year may not pay off, but down the road, their defense should become pretty good. Yeah. And I mean, Washington state's defense was their <laughs> problem last season. They had actually a really good special teams with Blake Maza. And then, uh, the offense was rolling again last year with Gordon, but, oh, that defense was bad. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I, I thought, um, Rolovich did a, I mean, he basically brought the top rank offense from the mountain West, um, and then grabbed the, the, the defensive coordinator from Wyoming, which in beta rank last season was the top ranked defense in the mountain West. Um, that's pretty smart hires, uh, I think. And, and Dickard, if he can, um, if he can particularly get it where that, uh, one of the strengths of that Wyoming team is, I think that, uh, their development of players along the defensive line. Um, in that scheme, um, if you can get that going, I think at Washington State, I think they have a real shot uh, to to be good. One of the things I was taking a look at is your website, which is 
it's super clean. And I think you do a really good job ranking a lot of the coordinators. So, so, um, and that website, by the way, is westcoastcfb.com, which is also your Twitter handle. Um, you know, on, on the site, you know, you rank the PAC 12 coordinators and the PAC 12, uh, even the campuses, <laughs> which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, cause I think you got it right to, you know, Stanford's beautiful. Colorado is a completely underrated, gorgeous campus with just beautiful architecture and all that stuff. Um, but one of the things I noticed was when I was looking over your rankings for the top 10 or top five offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators, Wazoo wasn't listed. And I get that, like they're new. We're not quite certain, um, what we're going to get in the team, but, how how do you anticipate Washington State's roster as it is adjusting to the new scheme? Is that is that going to be an easy transition or like has there been any history of Rolovich? I know he didn't start. I think the run and shoot at Hawaii before he started uh, before he made that transition. So how do you think that how do you think that adjustment's going to happen? Yeah, you know, I actually think offensively, uh, probably going to depend a lot on the quarterback play. That's pretty big unknown for us at this point for Wazoo, um, you know, without having spring ball play, and I think for us to really, you know, in last year, you know, Leach didn't play any of the backups. So it's basically a complete unknown at quarterback uh, what we're going to get. So that's obviously going to be huge. But Wazoo has very talented receivers. Uh, and then Max Borgie, I think, is, like, nationally extremely underrated. You know, his probably closest comparison would be Christian McCaffrey. You know, he's not that good, but um, very close. And I think that they'll just utilize him a lot. I think they're going to run the ball a lot more this year than they did uh, under Leach. Um, but, you know, Borgie's also a threat um, in the receiving game as well. So, you know, I think that offensively, offense won't be as good as last year, but still going to be pretty good. I think defensively, they're going to make some strides, you know, probably come on late in the year and become a pretty good defense. But I think the defense will really hit its stride maybe two to three years from now. Nice. Rob, I know that, um, and we'll alternate questions after this, uh, but I know that the Mountain West is near and dear to your heart. I'm sure you have a ton of stuff for <laughs> West Coast College football. Uh, what do you got? Yeah, let's talk Daryl Hammond and Air Force, because I think he's, I think he might be the sneaky, like if you were going to say someone under the radar in college football, um, I think Air Force was really good last season and, and uh, particularly offensively. And Hammond is really the best passing option QB we've seen in a long time at the service academies. Like, he was lights out last season. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that Wazoo game was pretty entertaining um, when the Air Force played them last year. And, you know, I remember that opening drive, and I think Air Force had, like, 15 plays uh, for, like, you know, 80 yards, and it took, like, 13 minutes of clock, you know, and, you know, it just – that style is just so demoralizing to play against. Um, and he does, you know, run the ball well, but also passes way better than most triple option quarterbacks. So, you know, I actually think he could have some pro potential, um, not a quarterback probably, but, you know, in some capacity due to his athleticism. Um, definitely just one of the, you know, better option quarterbacks we've seen in a long time from an academy. Do they do they play any Pac-12 team this year? I hope not. <laughs> went 2-0. That's a good question. I don't think they do actually. Look, I know, I know, we want to take care of our military, but like, never book a service academy. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to prepare <laughs> for this option. Actually, you're there. They do not uh, play um, any Pac-12 teams this year. You know what's interesting? So that, like, I, I think that they have a shot um, if Hammond gets rolling to catch Boise State this season. Um, 
but that it's interesting because that game that is September 12th. I think they must have an FCS game right before that. But I mean, they get Boise real early in the year, um, which could be interesting for both teams given the situation if it actually went off as scheduled. Yeah, uh, Air Force has actually given Boise some trouble, uh, you know, since about like 2014. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Air Force pull off that upset, you know, with how the series has gone over the past few years. Um, I think Boise so looks like Boise won the past three and then Air Force won the three before that. So it's in 2014, they've split 3-3, and they've been some pretty good games. So it really would not be a big surprise if Air Force pulled that off. And, you know, their offense is good, and they're hard to, to scheme for. So definitely be a tough matchup for Boise State, and that could really hurt Boise State's chances for the season. That Boise coaching staff has – it's not always been a break in case of emergency. You know, if you need a coordinator, you, you just, but it's kind of like the go-to, go and raid Boise State and try to take somebody. And sometimes that's worked out and sometimes it hasn't. You know, it's worked out clearly at Oregon, didn't quite work out at Arizona. And the latest school to raid the coaching team there was ASU. They get Zach Hill, their offensive coordinator. What, what type of offense was he running at Boise and how is that going to translate to what Herm's trying to do uh, down in Tempe? Yeah, uh, you know, I would classify it as a pro-style spread. Um, so if you want a good – I don't know if a person hasn't watched Mountain West football or Boise State football, uh, the closest comparison is what you're seeing at Washington, um, you know, during the Peterson era when they had Bush Hamden and Jonathan Smith. Um, so you're going to see a lot of tight end usage, a lot of motion. Um, and the one worry I would have is, you know, the Washington offense kind of just ended up dropping those duds randomly. So, you know, Arizona State's got to hope that that doesn't happen to them um, with Zach Hill. But, you know, past two years, Zach Hill's offense ranked in the top 20 nationally. So, you know, I, I would give him, uh, you know, B-plus for the hire. I think it's a great move. Um, their offense was not very good this past year. So, I mean, they can really go, only go up from that point. Um, and, you know, I think that they're going to score more points and it's going to be a good addition long term. Do you think, though, so I mean, one of my concerns, I think, and this was one of the complaints that a lot of Washington fans, I think, had about that Peterson offense was that it was often overly clever to the point of being cute and 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 some would describe it as needlessly complex um, from time to time. And I think that uh, Daniels last season, he he wasn't asked to make a lot of real tough reads. He had a, a lot of his a lot of his passes were you know at or near the line of scrimmage, um, you know, and they were running. You know, Likens, you wouldn't necessarily describe him as a you know as a full on air raid guy. I think it's hard to be it would be hard to be a full on air raid guy under Herm, but he had the background in that, and they did run you know a lot. I mean, everyone runs some air raid concepts these days, but he ran you know a lot of their passing concepts came out of the air raid, which is a pretty simple passing system. Um, do you, th do you think Daniels is going to be able to adjust uh, to that? I mean, to that complexity and the off, I mean, not just Daniels. I mean, the offense as a whole adjusting to that more complex offense really on the fly without a full spring to adjust to it. That's actually a really, really good question. Yeah. You know, Husky fans did complain a lot you know, about the complexity of the offense, you know, it wasn't necessarily the most quarterback friendly offense. I would say um, you really needed to know your reads and understand the scheme within all that. So it will be interesting to see how Jaden Daniels reacts to that. Um, 
And, you know, I think that they do need to find a way to utilize his mobility and his playmaking ability and just kind of simplify the offense for him. I know Zach Hill has said in interviews that, you know, he's going to adapt the scheme to the players he has. Um, but, you know, a lot of coaches do say that and don't do that. So, <laughs> you know, I guess time will tell. But I do think they need to, you know, especially with COVID going on, need to simplify the offense and just let him play to his strengths and not, you know, try to bog him down with a bunch of reads and a really complex offense full of motion um, that just confuses their own team. Yeah, Rob, get ready for just four verts and halfback like halfback dives. Like this is gonna be. Every I, like, I mean, that that worked for them when they had Manny Wilkins just like throw it. Like that was that was their go-to third down play with Manny Wilkins and Dekeel Harry. Like, oh, we have third and long, four verts. Like, and it, it's a fine play, but <laughs> it cuts the point. People knew it was coming. Now, uh, who are so Rob and I on this show, especially in Colorado, a couple of their top prospects for coaching um head coach ended up dropping off or just you know decided to say no uh, we've we just figured man go yolo and take rocky long and just do the mac brown plan where you get like the old yes. grizzled head coach and just hire legit coordinators um he's obviously gone goes to new mexico um and so who who's like you know let, let's say a pac-12 team assuming that this season happens and it's normal um is in need of a of a coordinator or a coach in the coming year who are some of the people that Pac-12 fans should be keeping an eye on in the Mountain West that you think are, are just doing some really good creative things in that conference? That's a good question because the Mountain West has actually been kind of picked over teams recently. Um, you know, Wyoming has lost their defensive coordinator for, I think, the past two years now, um, and they had some really bright minds. Craig Bull at Wyoming is an amazing coach, but he's up there in age. So, I, you know, with his age, I don't know if that's, an attractive hire for a Pac-12 school. Um, then you look at Boise State, you know, obviously they've been picked over a decent amount at defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator. Um, you know, they had Drinkwitz uh, at OC back in 2015. He went to Missouri as head coach now. Um, then they had Zach Hill, and now he's gone. So it's kind of a whole new cast along the talented people. You know, Brian Harson obviously could be a great option. Um, but it's been difficult to pry the Boise State head coaches away. You know, Peterson stayed there for a long time. Harson's been there for a long time at this point. Um, you know, then you look at Hawaii, they have Todd Graham, but, you know, he's already been recycled through the Pac-12. Um, Fresno State has a new coach in there from Kalen DeBoer. You know, he's a bright offensive mind, but kind of an unknown from he's a head coaching the, perspective. Indiana kid, or not kid, but the guy from the OC Indiana. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yep. I forgot about that. Yes, and then like yeah, San Diego State has Hoke now, so I you know I don't think he's an attractive Hoke hire for uh, the Pac-12. They lost their DC to I want to say Mississippi State, uh, so it's kind of really just a whole unknown at this point, and you kind of have to just let things develop uh, for a couple years, or you know see how things go this year. So. Um, and I, I know Air Force's coach, Troy Calhoun, had some talk about moving up to the Colorado job, but that didn't really end up happening. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's that's really a good question, and I don't think there's really a good answer at this point because no one's really proven or they've just kind of already been recycled through the Pac-12. Well, the Mountain West itself has been a little down, too. Um, 
Yeah, you totally. Know, like, I think there are some teams that, I mean, that they put up some decent win totals, right? Like, I mean, Boise, you know, has put up some decent season win totals. But part of that is the Mountain West hasn't been as good. As good. I mean, they, Washington was, I mean, Washington's defense was good last season. Their, their offense just started to tail off um, as the season rolled on. But, I mean, they, they took it to Boise, and that was no that was no mistake in that bowl game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, I, I am interested to see if some of these Mountain West teams could could rebound because for a lot of those schools, they are positioned like Wyoming or New Mexico, um, you know, and maybe even you could say like UNLV. They're 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 positioned as like major state flagship schools, um, you know, even though they're not, you know, like you know a Power Five school, um, they have all the local attention um, for college football in the area. Uh, and there, and yet like a lot of them just really struggle to put it together lately. I mean, and, and Fresno, I mean, like they almost need like Kalen DeBoer to get it going at Fresno. You almost feel like, um, for them to maybe get it going again. But I mean, other than, so like the, the obvious ones that I would say in my head for like next year, I would like, I always keep an eye out for Boise air force is interesting if Wyoming could get an offense going, but is there anyone else? Those are all teams on one side. That's those are all from the mountain division. You know, who, who, who else stands out? I think next year, uh, in the mountain West. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like we said, a kind of unknown. I think that, you know, maybe Hawaii can do things with Todd Graham. You know, he had some decent years, Arizona state. Um, he's known to hire good assistants, you know, so many of his, assistants at ASU went on to become head coaches around college football. So, you know, maybe he can put it together. Um, Nevada has, you know, kind of been, they've had, they've won some games, but from a metrics perspective, they haven't looked very good. Um, but well, you know, yeah. They, and they got their they have some, head handed to them by Oregon. That was I, like, that was one game that Rob and I had circled like, Ooh, keep a look out there. And then, Oh my goodness. That like, not even close. <laughs> Their fall off yeah, on defense. Like from, you know, that Jeff Castile had that really good year his first year, then they fell off and Castile got fired. Uh, I mean, they were all defense that year and like their, their offense has stunk. Um, mm-hmm. They've got Hal Mummy's kid as the offensive coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. Like, the yeah, ne- the nepotiz, uh, dude, the nepotiz. Yeah. I want to say like Matt Mum or something like that is his name. Yeah, Matt Mummy. Yeah. They, they didn't just try to hire somebody like they, so they tried to hire air raid bloodlines, not just from like the coaching tree. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And well, they have Jay Norvell as their head coach and he's an air raid guy. Um, also was under the, uh, an Arizona state coaching tree under Todd Graham. But yeah, I feel like they just, I don't know. They're kind of feel like a little bit like a paper tiger. You know, they've won some games from like a, you know, their window looks decent, but, they can't really compete with like the Pac-12 at that, that high kind of kind of high level. Maybe that's the answer. Is just it's just raid everybody that Todd Graham hires, but don't hire Todd Graham. I think that's probably the move, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. I mean, we we talk about this on our our podcast that, or maybe I just talk about it a lot, but we and then we talk about it on the podcast. But that really one of the most important jobs a head coach has is, is hiring, and Todd Graham was so good at it for so long. Uh, at Arizona State, right? Like, I mean, even the guys like Billy Napier, right? Like, Billy Napier is on the cusp of getting a big job um, with what he's got going in Louisiana. Yep, follower of Sharp College Football, by the way. Um, <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> hey, let, let's transition here to the Pac-12. And um, so, what 
you you have a, a you mean you have your head on the swivel. You're like the eye of Mordor, basically, on what's going on in the Pac-12, which is great. I mean, that's why I like so. And, and I would be remiss not to give out the Twitter handle again. So it's West Coast uh, CFB. What what is a story or stories that you think haven't been covered as as closely as they should in regards to the conference? Because I think I think what happens is there's really only like five or six like entities that cover the Pac-12. And like, I think sometimes we go towards the group think and there's disagreements. Like we think that UCLA isn't going to be good. We think Cal will be okay. Like, so there's disagreements on that front, but is there any stories that have popped up that we've missed or any players or teams that you think are going to make a jump? Like what, what, what has not been covered to the extent that you should, you think should be? Yeah, maybe Oregon state, you know, I think that they had a surprisingly good season last year. Um, you know, if they didn't collapse against Wazoo in that game, uh, they would have been in a bowl game, which is pretty impressive given where they came from. So, you know, I definitely didn't expect Jonathan Smith to get Oregon State back to that kind of level so quickly. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not too high on them for this year, but they surprised us last year. So, you know, for all we know, they can surprise us again. Um, and they have some talented players, you know, Jamar Jefferson, a running back. Um, could be the best running back in the conference. You know, he was the freshman offensive player of the year two years ago. Um, so, you know, I think that maybe they don't get the pub they deserve. And then I think that USC is actually a very, very high ceiling team, like playoff quality roster. Uh, Slovis is like amazing, amazing, amazing. And I think that we kind of, you know, discount them due to Clay Helton and the coaching staff, but he's made some good hires at defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator. So for all we know, they could put together and become that, that playoff team. I still think they have the highest ceiling of any PAC 12 team this year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I actually tend to agree on, on USC that I think people, I think we tend to look at and say like Clay Helton has not figured it out in the past. Therefore he will not figure it out in the future. I mean, that's somewhat fair, but I think he, I mean, he, he hired Sean or uh, Bill Snyder's kid <laughs> to be the special teams coordinator. That's a great hire. Like that guy is a it fantastic is. special teams coach and that's really under the radar. But I mean, like he, he was this close to having Graham Harrell, Sean Snyder and um, Dave Aranda on staff. <laughs> like that would like, regardless of what you think about, Clay Helton and whether he would figure it out, he, those would have that would have been like the uh, over a two year period, probably the best set of hires that any coach had put together in a long time. Plus, he added Dante Williams, so I I, I tend to agree with you on uh, the USC. I think it might be a little under folks' radar this season. Yeah. Now, is there anyone? Is there anyone that you think like I, I, like there are stories that I think, um, like I think that the Pac-12 sort of overcovers, I guess you could say, but like. Uh, do we want to dive into that Larry Scott story while we're? Yeah, let's see. We were supposed to do that at the beginning. Uh, I jumped right into let's talk. Well, let's talk Mountain West. Um, yeah, Rob. I mean, we could like I say like overcover because I, I referred I referenced that because like I feel sometimes like we overcover Larry Scott because he's such an easy punching bag because he's such a doofus. But well, hey, well, why don't why don't we start with the UCLA story? And then and then transition because I think those are kind of they're not super stable together, but they are both financial issues within yeah. the Pac-12. So let's start with that, Rob. Like, can you kind of outline what happened with Under Armour and UCLA? So Under Armour uh, 
basically notified UCLA that they intend to uh, seek to void the contract uh, that they have with them. Um, so they have a, a sizable, I would have to, oh man, I feel dumb for not having the details pulled up, but it's 280 they, uh, million was the, okay. Yes. They signed a $280 million deal uh, with UCLA for the, you know, their to be their apparel provider um, and light that licensing deal. It is um, they are, looking to cancel it under the terms basically saying that UCLA has not lived up to the, their marketing provisions uh, that they have in the contract. And that could be, you know, that could be taking an easy out with COVID because there may not be language in the contract to handle something like that, that would have prevented UCLA coaches from doing that. Um, it's, I mean, this is, I mean, these kinds of things seem to happen to UCLA, I guess you could say, um, but it's, it's not a good look to, to find that, I mean, Under Armour is, of course, I mean, all, a lot of companies these days are under significant financial pressure. Um, you know, Under Armour may be looking to cut some of their large outlays. There's also, and it's not just UCLA, it, there are, there are uh, there's a lot of smoke that Cal will also be included in this. Um, and there's you know, this and they, $80 million, so smaller, but still significant in the, in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Yeah. But UCLA, I mean, this is, I mean, this is bad for UCLA because UCLA does not do a lot of fundraising in the athletic department. Um, and from a revenue standpoint, despite the fact that they really, both from what they should be able to raise from alumni and what should be available to them, um, you know, just from where they sit in the conference, they don't actually, they, I mean, they, they, they fall right around, you know, Washington and overall athletic department revenues, which I, I is, is not UCLA hitting their headroom. Like Washington may be closer to maxing out their revenue. UCLA in no way is, but this, this deal was a huge chunk of what they, they brought in because they don't do a ton of fundraising and that kind of thing. Uh, it's a big hit for UCLA to, and then potentially to have to go back onto the market at a time when, you know, there may not be a ton of like, you know, that nobody may want be wanting to write them a huge check because everybody is feeling a bit of a pinch. So this is a hit for the a hit for the Bruins, even though, I mean, I think and we've made this joke regarding basketball. I mean, you don't want, you don't want under armor money <laughs> in, in recruiting, right? Like, you know, you joke around about like landing players, like you want to have the Nike or Adidas money landing players, um, I also like, I'm not a huge fan of the Under Armour, like football uniforms. Um, sorry, Cal in Utah, but, uh, yeah, this is, this is a big deal. I mean, this is, I think this is a really big deal and it's going to put significant financial pressure on UCLA this season. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, I think what's going to hurt is like, you know, they're losing the money, which is just like an absolutely massive apparel deal. But not only that, I mean, they're losing leverage in their next deal. You know, now they don't have uh, Under Armour to bid. So now it's just Nike and Adidas. Um, it's hard to see them landing anywhere near that kind of money. You know, they're not coming from a point of being that great in football recently or that great in basketball recently. So, you know, I don't think their they're stock's like at an all-time high right now. Anything that's, you know, pretty low. And it's I mean, who knows, like, how they're even going to put it all together, um, if the deal will just finish out through this year, how that's going to go. But, I mean, if they cancel it immediately, that's not very much time to get another deal going. So it will be really interesting to monitor it and kind of see where the story goes. I want to see the contract dispute. 
like from Under Armour, you know, if it's just in Cran, you hired Mick Cronin, you kept Jerry Azanaro, <laughs> like we're getting out of our contract. <laughs> I mean, obviously well, Mick, Mick Cronin has done, he's actually done better than I anticipated, but it is just a, it is a rough watch to watch any Mick Cronin team play offense. And ugh, like, I, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe they get their revenue for the wins and getting to the tournament and all that stuff. I think most of that is shared with the program, but like, good Lord, like, that is that is not going to be an exciting brand of basketball ever, um, unless he changes his ways, which he could. But if if you're getting like straight McCronin, I think there's a cap on how excited people get um, towards UCLA basketball. I mean, I guess if you get to the Final Four and you you just do it ugly, people will get on board. But ooh, it like hasn't done it yet. I don't know what were you gonna say, Rob. Well, and they're also in a pickle because after losing UCLA to Under Armour, Adidas went out and signed Washington you know, is their flagship Pac-12 school. And Adidas isn't like, I mean, Nike has the majority of the schools in the conference. Um, Adidas and and Under Armour to an extent too, as smaller players tend to, you know, pick and choose and take their shots, right? Like they'll, they're going to have a couple of, you know, try to sign a couple of big schools uh, within a conference. Uh, and like, I don't know that Adidas is going to have a, a potentially a big outlay to try to go out and, and bring the Bruins back on board who, and Adidas, you know, UCLA was with Adidas before this. Um, I mean, if you're Nike, you already have USC signed, um, you know, and on board. So, I mean, it's not that UCLA is not, it's not, UCLA is worth some money, but, um, I don't know that they're going to get full value or like, uh, you know, get that Under Armour type you know reach what the same level of that under armor contract was at well the one thing the other thing i wanted to ask you west coast college football was was cal right like cal is i know ucla is a problem and rob you and i have talked about this on the podcast but cal like they they were going through like significant financial stress and even though it's a smaller contract 80 million dollars is 80 million dollars and maybe they make up that somewhere, but like they had to spend a ton of money to redo their stadium because it's, oh, I don't know, on the San Andreas fault line. <laughs> and they had like, and it's not like Cal has a huge fan base in general either. Man, I, if I'm a Cal fan and I just saw like in, in Under Armour, Under the Radar took the Cal logo and any, any references to Cal on their website off of the site, which is why people are speculating that they're probably not going to um, continue their work on that front. Um, I think the one more thing to ask before I throw you the question is, Robbie, you had mentioned that Under Armour is running through some financial issues and they are like all, all, all of the apparel companies are, I mean, you just saw Nike's sales kind of fall off a cliff, um, this last quarter, but Under Armour in particular has been a mess financially for a long period of time. And there's their value of their stock has like been slashed in half multiple times. Kevin Plank, the CEO is no longer there. They invested in like sleep technology and that was a problem. So it's kind of a culmination of the financial issues there, like snowballing into, oh crap, we're in the middle of a, of a, like a financial crisis also. And that's going to, I just, it'll be interesting to see where all of the Under Armour teams go um, because they're going to really need to apply for loans to get additional capital and all that stuff. Um, so that was a statement. Here's the question. <laughs> like how worried are you as if you're a Cal fan, West Coast College football? Yeah. You know, I, Cal's never been a sexy program. Um, so, you know, I don't think that they have that really broad marketing appeal to a, you know, retail company like Nike or Adidas. Um, so I can't see them getting a massive contract. Um, it'll probably end up being Nike. Um, but, 
yeah, it's like, you know, they've already been in so much financial trouble over the past like 10 years and especially the past five. And it's hard to see them getting out of that. And, you know, that's kind of where the Pac-12 TV deal comes in that, you know, has kind of fallen behind and, you know, that's running the Pac-12 in a lot of different ways. And now to be coupled with, you know, losing your contract deal for apparel, that's a pretty big blow for the program. And yeah. And again, like I was saying about UCLA, like you're losing your leverage and negotiation um, having a partner fall off. So, you know, it's, it's hard to see them getting too big of a deal at this point. Um, so it's not going to be what they already have, I don't think. So um, it's going to be interesting to follow. And I know that UCLA even lost a lot of money this past year. And yep. they were in the red. So both programs kind of uh, not in the best situation, especially with COVID going on. I mean, you know, there's still a chance that we could not even have a football season. So, you know, what would happen to those schools then? And, that would be probably a big disaster for both, and especially Cal. Yeah, we all know BK Knights is, is just the CEO of them. is just like, <laughs> hell yeah, like we we got this. It's time to swoop in and make our move. Um, you there, know- was, there was a horrific time as a Wyoming fan when Wyoming was signed to New Balance. And play, I mean, like with a, just like one or two other college football programs and like New Balance, this is your time. Like, go, go for it. <laughs> Drive that Scott Stalker, baby. Um, hey, speaking of financial issues, we have another one in the conference. And, Rob, this one surrounds, uh, correct me if you heard this again, Mr. Larry Scott. Yeah, so uh, John Gonzano had, had reported out that there was some um, – so Larry Scott had announced that he was taking, uh, you know, a 20% uh, pay cut off the top. Um, and that the, the PAC 12 had laid off, you know, 8% of its staff back in April, um, and it announced a hiring fee freeze, and then it implemented a 10% pay cut for a lot of other staffers. Um, however, uh, it turned out that Larry Scott's pay cut was not forever. Um, and some athletic directors were irked that it was only for three months and he's going back to full, full salary this week. Um, Meanwhile, the Pac-12, I think, is down $16 million in revenue right now due to, you know, no payouts for the the conference, you know, the, um, you know, the, they didn't complete the conference basketball tournament, no NCAA tournament payouts, um, you know, no spring sports, uh, you know, to have, you know, I mean, even, you know, baseball drives some some revenue from commercials for the for the Pac-12 network. So um, I think some ADs were a little irked that, you uh, it, he basically only took a three-month pay cut. Meanwhile, other people just lot those other jobs aren't coming back right now. Um, so yes, the, I think some ADs were irked that their uh, he was going back to full pay. Meanwhile, uh, no one was coming back to like full payments from the conference. Uh, yeah. So and and uh, West Coast College Bowl, like you you follow the conference. I mean, I don't know that anyone really loves. Maybe someone loves Larry Scott somewhere. Uh, he might be Larry <laughs> Scott. Rob, we don't know. I mean, what's, we don't what know. Is, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty, like Michael Michael Crow loves Larry Scott. Like he might be the only person. Yeah. What do you What do you think? Like you know, uh, it's just it's the problem is it's just story after story after story. Um, but you know we've we've said our piece about Scott uh, on this. Like, what do you think about this particular story and how it fares for his continued leadership in the conference? Yeah, it, it feels like it's just been like kind of a PR disaster after a PR disaster after a PR disaster. You know, they haven't been spending money well. Um, it, you know, the TV contracts also be 
obviously been talked about a lot. Um, so it just kind of feels like his brand just continues to deteriorate some. And I know we're paying him like an insane amount of money, something like 5.3 million or something around those numbers um, to be the Pac-12 commissioner. So, you know, I think that it's just that just another knock, you know, and it's going to be tough with, you know, continuous new athletic directors coming into the conference who, you know, weren't there when he was appointed and they may look to, you know, kind of get their own guy in charge down the road. So it will be interesting to monitor and kind of see where that all goes. Got to make the change. Got to make the change. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, man, <laughs> three, three month pay cut. Sure. Sure, bro. Like you keep, you keep being you, Larry. Um, we have we have another portion of this podcast, and we're going to nominate players from around the conference for uh, preseason uh, All Pac-12 team, and we're going to do that right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. And we're here with West Coast College Football at West Coast CFB. And I'm really excited about this. I, You know, like... COVID and, you know, finances and all that stuff. And it's, it's interesting to talk about. And I'm glad that we did that. I just love, like, I think one of the things that makes this conference so fun is, A, there's just a tremendous amount of talent on, on teams throughout the conference, whether it's Oregon State to, I mean, obviously we talk about USC and Washington and um, Utah and all that stuff. But I do think that there's just some really standout players in a lot on a lot of these teams, like Max Borgie from Washington State, like we mentioned, Jamar Jefferson at Oregon State. And what we wanted to do was put a spotlight on some of those players. And um, I, I don't know about you, West Coast College football, but like I'm not officially on the all pack 12 preseason voter list, but we're going to, we're going to force our way on today and we're all going to nominate two teams or I'm sorry, we're each going to nominate two players from each position to put on, uh, to put into a pool of players that we're going to continue to talk about. We're actually going to narrow that pool down in subsequent podcasts. So this isn't, um, we're not voting for them to be on our all preseason Pac-12 team, but we're putting them in contention so that we can talk about them a little bit more and give them more of their due, which I, I think a lot of these players are due because of their productivity. Let's start with quarterback here, which is probably the easiest one. So we're, this is the way that's going to work. Each of us is going to nominate two people. We'll talk about them a little bit and then we'll vote on them. If you get two votes, out of three, you get to move on to subsequent rounds. You get to stay in the cool guy pool, and uh, and if you get voted out, you go to the kiddie pool. And you know maybe we'll talk about you a little bit if you, if you continue to be great during the actual season. So uh, West Coast College Football, who are the two quarterbacks that you want to nominate to uh, to consider for preseason All Pac-12? Yeah, I think it's probably a boring selection here, but we're going with Keaton Slovis and Jaden Daniels. Um, you know, no real surprise there. Um, both big-time players as freshmen last year and expecting big things from them in 2020. So, Rob, obviously Keaton Slovis, we don't really need to talk about him. I, I have him. <laughs> yes. as, I think we all have him as number one. Um, I actually would put Chase Garbers above Jaden Daniels. 
Um, now, again, this is more just we're considering these these folks. So, like, all of these people will be um, pretty solid quarterbacks. What do you think about Jaden Daniels? Like, we, you know, like we've talked about him fairly at length here. But um, the one thing you can't argue with Daniels is as a freshman, just stepping up big time in moments, only through two interceptions. I know the accuracy wasn't quite there. Um, like, as he, as, but like true freshman just thrown in front of a terrible offensive line and still was so productive. Like, I, I got to put him in the pool, right? I mean, I liked it. I, I feel like in trying to temper expectations with Daniels, I think it's because I, there's there are a lot of people putting Daniels up with Slovis, and I think that there's a huge gap between Slovis and every other quarterback in the conference. Um, and Daniels, I mean, Daniels did he played well. I mean, I don't want to take away from that. Um, I think if they find ways to use his legs next season, um, that I think that that would be terrific. My concern with Daniels is that quarterbacks don't tend to get better on accuracy. Um, it's something they do not tend to improve on, uh, over time. So if, you know, if, if he does, if he is able to make strides on that count, I, I'm in. Um, but I mean, like most of the, most of the advanced, you know, folks that actually you know rated his throws on tape last season didn't love him um so that's i mean that's the one watch out i would say uh with daniels there but i'm with you i would i would put garbers ahead of him um i would take and i i'm gonna i will i will beat this drum i would put grant gunnell um in there too because i think gunnell has you know and i'm I'm going to say again, like pro football focus has him as the number one potential breakout candidate in all of college football next season. <laughs> um, I, but I think that, I think that is the, uh, you know, the, but once you get outside of those, it gets tough in the conference. Don't you think? I mean, I don't think that there's anyone else that jumps out at me as even where we know who the starter is going to be in a lot of cases. Yeah. And I'll throw this to you in just a sec. West Coast college, college football. The one, the one person I, I also had on this list was, the wazoo quarterback like i don't know who it's mm. gonna be but True. whoever that is he has now the offensive line could be a major issue but he is gonna have max borgie behind him and he can throw to him if he needs to uh, but he also is gonna have just a stacked wide receiving core um but here, here's a question for you west coast college football um how far behind like on a scale of one to ten ten being the best let's put let's put slovis at a ten where is Daniels and where is Garbers on that scale of one to 10? I'm curious how close you think they are in terms of their potential. That's a great question. You know, I would think I would put Daniels maybe around a 7.5. Um, and Garbers is kind of right there as well. You know, I think Garbers wasn't the prettiest quarterback last year, um, but he's a winner and he can run the ball and he definitely makes a huge difference in that offense. Um, it would be interesting to see if they have a better scheme this year that can really play to his potential. So, you know, I think I would put him probably around a 7 to 7.5 as well. So I want to address Gunnell. Um, I wouldn't vote to put him in the pool for right now, and here's why. I watched every Arizona game. He was He was fine. I also gambled on a lot of Arizona games and he wasn't great. Right. So like the, the games where like they put him in or like he was in it, like he was in during garbage time. I, I mean, again, true freshman, not a great offensive line, all, all the, you know, preludes and all that stuff. I just, I, I think he'll be, I think he'll be significantly better than Khalil Tate. I also don't like the wide receivers that he has himself surrounded with. And like, what's the ceiling 
West Coast college football and Noel Mazzoni's offense. I think it's fine, but is it going to be, is it going to blow up the world in the Rob? I like obviously jump in after that, but I, I don't know. I, I, I have some hesitation. I think, I think Gunnell is going to be like top five quarterback in the Pac-12. I definitely don't have him in the top three to start. What do you think? Yeah, Gunnell, uh, I think he was a lot better than people give him credit for last year. You know, the team around him wasn't very good. Um, but like you mentioned, he played a lot of time in, you know, garbage uh, possessions where the game was kind of out of reach and the defense isn't playing, you know, the most aggressive version of their defense. So, you know, seeing him this year will be kind of interesting to see how he adapts. But, you know, I don't think he has the strongest arm either, but very accurate, um, had an amazing high school career. So I think that he's a very, very bright future, and I think he maybe is a better fit for uh, Mazzoni's offense. Um, you know, I think that probably everyone was disappointed in how the Khalil Tate situation was handled and how he looked so good under Rich Rod and then, you know, kind of just fell flat the past two years and wasn't running the ball the way he did under Rich Rod. So maybe Gunnell will be a better fit um, being that, He's more of a pocket passer and can maybe fit the scheme better. All right, Rob, defend your boy Gunnell. Again, I still think <laughs> I still think top five. I just don't know. I'm, I'm hesitant on top three. Well, no, what I would throw out, though, is that, I mean, the Daniels were, were throwing out there that Jane Daniels had such a great year, and Jane Daniels threw a whole bunch of passes to Brandon Ayuk at or behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, Brandon Ayuk, if you look at his advanced, like the, the breakdown, you know, that they had done off the tape of the, his catches – he stood out among top wide receivers in the draft just for the sheer number of catches that he had right around the line of scrimmage. I mean, they just didn't put the ball down the field very much last season. He wasn't asked to do very much, and he wasn't asked to do very much with, you know, if you look at that wide receiver room, I mean, I think Darby's an NFL player. You know, Brandon Ayuk's a first rounder. I mean, there's he was I, I, I think people Daniels didn't have to do a lot last season, and I think that we might be overrating what he did. Um, and I say that, and I think Gunnell last season, like, yeah, like the wide receivers weren't necessarily great, but I think Gunnell has things that you look at, like his accuracy, his decision-making, his ability to get through his reads. Those all bode really well for the future for him in a way that I think for Mazzoni's offense, what we've seen in the past is Mazzoni, Mazzoni's offense tends to thrive when he has a quarterback that is more like Gunnell, like when he had Brett Hundley his last season at UCLA, where Hundley was a senior and knew the offense inside and out. I mean, UCLA had a top 10 offense that season. Um, now, I don't think Arizona has nothing like the talent that UCLA offense had, um, you know, maybe outside of Gunnell, but you don't need, I mean, like Peyton Manning didn't have this, like there's a lot of quarterbacks over, you know, time in the league, you know, in, in the NFL that didn't have great arms and were great quarterbacks. So I think the knock on Gunnell is probably more around his supporting cast. And that's, that makes it tough. That means you really do have to sit around and like watch what he's doing. Um, you know, because I, I, I don't know that his offense is going to be as good as, you know, Cal's maybe even next season. I think they, I think actually Arizona has a shot to have, I mean, Arizona state's offense was awful, awful last season. Um, and I think people forget that, uh, you know, Arizona state doesn't project to have a great offense next season, um, either. So that's, that's one of the interesting things I think with Daniels too, is that, you know, no, you know, Benjamin, 
you know, what did the Sun Devils even have? <laughs> I guess uh, is my question with them on offense, right? Like, it's not like with Slovis where you're like, oh, you have Keats and Slovis and all these weapons uh, that are back. You know, the Sun Devils are, are are rebuilding a little bit on the tool set there. All right, Rob has ASU going four and eight on the season. We understand. We understand. No, no I, mean, I, like, I like the defense. I like the defense. Hold, <laughs> hold me to that. All right. Well, it's time to vote. So I'm sure we all have Slovis. We'll just move him on. Um, everybody on board with Chase Garbers. What do you think about U.S. Coast College football? Yeah, that sounds good. I think that Garbers is a great quarterback, and he won a ton of games um, when he was playing with Cal. So I think it's a great choice. Okay. Um, Rob, you good with Garbers? I'm good with Garbers. All right. Jaden Daniels, Rob, uh, me, me and West Coast College Football are we're um, we're holding hands in solidarity right now. <laughs> but I but I want to know the cake's already baked. But what do you think? I'm out. Okay. Like, I, I don't think he, I don't think he's a top two quarterback in the league next season. I think, so, but I also think that like one of the Washington quarterbacks, one of the Oregon quarterbacks, what the Washington State quarterback. Uh, would emerge and be better than Daniels. And I, I mean, you could also make an argument that if uh, Jake Bentley plays well at Utah, that, you know, he has, he has, you know, he, over his career, he has certainly played better than Jaden Daniels. Okay. Um, I'm already out on Gunnell. So you're going to have the, you're going to have the tie, tie breaking vote here at West Coast College football. You want him to advance into consideration or are you going to scratch him? Uh, I would scratch Gunnell on that. Don't worry, Rob. He'll be back. He'll it's be back okay. next year. It's okay. <laughs> um, so the only other name. Of, hmm? Next spring, when we actually play the football, you'll see. <laughs> we'll just replay this. It'll be good. It'll be good. Um, I, so my other one that I had was um, the Wazoo quarterback, um, whoever that may be. Rob, you going to vote for him? I'm, I'm, I'm in on that. Sure. Like, I, I, I think that, you know, regardless, like Washington State is still going to throw the football a bazillion times and put up some numbers so yeah i'm in all right west coast you in too uh i mean i've been surprised the past two years by wazoo's quarterbacks and they've been excellent so you know i can never really count them out from that perspective so i mean we might get surprised again all right i'm moving forward Nice, nice. And yeah, if you're a Washington Oregon fan, like we get it. You're like, yeah, you get you guys you guys will probably figure it out. But come on. We gotta give these some people some love. Um moving over to running back, West Coast, who do you got? Who are your two people? Uh CJ Burdell uh was outstanding last year. You know, he's a physical runner, but also breaks off some extremely long runs consistently. Um and then, you know, it feels kinda weird putting him at the running back position, but Max Borgi, uh is amazing all-around player um you know from a running back perspective and from a receiving perspective plus uh everything else he contributes from a special team standpoint so you know those would be my two totally totally in on both of those rob do you have anybody different i, I have a couple names to throw out just to chew over but who do you got i mean i would add jefferson in there uh and i think uh i would i really like uh, what we got to see in limited action from Richard Newton at Washington. I think he's the kind of tough runner that they might need behind that line. Yeah. You know, it'd be interesting Washington retooling their offensive line, but I, I like, I like Newton. Um, I thought I, I totally agree with you, Rob. It was interesting. I went back to look at the numbers and they weren't as impressive as I thought, but like, you know, he was doing backup duty and I, you know, I think it just depends on the game situation, but somebody that's going to lower his head and take care of business when he needs to. And I kind of like that. 
Um, I don't know, West Coast, what do you think about Washington's uh, running back here? you think he's going to be able to rise to the occasion? Um, so he's running against stacked boxes. Um, so, you know, naturally due to that situation, you're not going to have the really high yards per carry. But, you know, he ran super hard for a freshman. Um, kind of reminded me a little bit of like Marshawn Lynch and the way he could kind of just keeps the legs running. We're really, really aggressive. Um, I think he's going to have a big year this season. Uh, I definitely think he has, you know, 1,000 plus yard potential. Um, and he's already proven he can score touchdowns. And so I definitely think he's going to be one of the top running backs in the conference. Okay. Well, let's, uh, I think we're all in agreement on those four. Here's a couple names to throw out here. Um, Alex Fontenot at Colorado, and, and hear me out, they are going to run the hell out of the ball. Like, he, I, I, this is more just a, <laughs> you get a prize for running a lot. Um, and I thought he was pretty good. Um, I at least wanted to, to throw him out there to discuss. And the other one was Austin Jones at Stanford. I think this one is a little bit less defensible because we don't know if some of those freshmen that came in for Stanford are going to take care of business. They, they actually might jump out in front of Jones. But I thought Jones was kind of promising um, as a younger underclassman. And it wasn't like Stanford was able to block for anybody there. Um, Rob, what do you think about Fontenot and Jones? I mean, Fontenot's fine. I think that uh, I'd also have to go back through and look because I know Colorado's losing a ton of production on offense. Um, and their offensive line was good, but not great. I mean, they, they, were, they were okay last season. Um, whether I think is going to be able to, to to get some holes, even if they do choose to run the ball a lot, uh, that is another story. So <laughs> that, that that's not necessarily a reflection of him. I just I don't know that he's going to have the stats um required because you're also like nobody's gonna have to respect the pass against colorado next season until they prove it um and then you know with stanford i i mean it's sort of the same story like i mean they just uh since mike bloomgren went to rice like they just can't figure out run blocking anymore which is astounding but true um and i i do like uh it's isn't it emmett smith's kid like emmett smith jr like i i my guess is he gets the started job yeah, there's there's like two guys there that were top 25 uh, running backs in the country. So it's possible that there's just a running back by committee there. Um, West Coast, what do you think about Fontenot or, or Jones? I'm actually going to vote against them. <laughs> I just wanted to bring them up anyway. Uh, I'm curious what you think about those guys, if we should advance them. Yeah, from Fontenot, uh, you know, I think he had kind of a, a under-the-radar season last year. He was definitely a good running back. Um, but it's hard to see him having like a truly special season. Um, and then with Stanford, uh, like discussed, I think that we just really don't know who's going to be the starting running back at this point. And their offense weirdly shifted the past, you know, two years once they put in a, to get a OC to like almost like an air raid, where they just start tossing the ball all over the place and gave up on the run, which is kind of what brought them to prominence. Um, so who knows how much they're going to run this year. It's hard for me to say, you know, who is going to be the starting running back and how they'll perform. So probably a no for me on both those guys. Okay, I got one more name for you, and that's Chris Brown at Cal. And and I legitimately believe in Chris Brown. I thought he had a really sneaky year um, on a team with that had major quarterback issues when Chase Garbers wasn't there, a stagnant offense, a bad offensive coordinator. They make the shift um, with, uh, I think it was Bill Musgrave and um, – 
and he was just he was just super productive. I like the way he ran, and, and uh, I think his Marcel Dancy behind him was solid. But I think Chris Brown's going to get the lion's share of the carries, and I I think he's going to be incredibly productive this year. What do you think, West Coast? I actually love Chris Brown. You know, he is massive. He's like two hundred and thirty pounds, six one. Um, and the Pac-12 tends to have smaller defensive lines across the board, so I think that his size is going to pose a lot of problems you know, for those linemen and even for the small Pac-12 linebackers too. And I could see him putting up a massive season for Cal and he was already good last year too. So uh, that's a, a great call out, you know, putting him in there. Now, Rob, I cheated a little bit. I cheated a little bit. I, I brought three names, um, but I, I still think it's worth at least talking about it. What do you, what do you think about Brown? Should we keep him in consideration? Yeah, I would keep Brown in consideration. I think he's I think he's prime for a good year if Garbers is healthy and an offensive coordinator that knows what they're doing. My only if there is one concern I have, it is that Angus McClure is now the offensive line coach at Cal. Yeah, probably. But I would still I would still I would still vote yes on Chris Brown because like everything you guys said about him running tough is absolutely true. Um and I I, I think of that um that game that they had with that crazy delay up in Seattle um, where Washington just really struggled to bring him down on some drives. Anybody else we should mention? I mean, I know like whoever the running back is for Utah will likely get a bunch of carries, but um, I'm, I'm not quite comfortable putting them in here yet, but uh, West coast, were we missing anybody here? Um, You know, I think Gary Brightwell from Arizona did impress at times. Um, but yeah, no one, I think we touched on the biggest guys that are really going to stand out. Like you mentioned, Utah, you know, whoever wins the job there, um, is going to put up stats, you know, they love to run the ball. So that's definitely kind of the dark horse. He's kind of, that's kind of like the wall to that quarterback thing, you know, Utah running back. Someone's going to put up amazing stats. Um, so definitely something to look out for. Yeah. Shout out to the ASU running backs. I know they recruited really well. They're also young and I, I don't trust that offensive line yet, but, um, that might be a next year nomination um rob anybody else on the running back front no i mean i think it's a good shout out shout out with brightwell i just think that arizona is going to be is going to do a true uh running back by committee um and a lot of those younger guys that they really like are also going to get a lot of reps yeah and the one thing was jj taylor um and we and i said this a couple times in the podcast and then i stopped saying it he got dinged up a couple of times and I would say, Oh, well like Gary Brightwell, his numbers have been really solid. Like I, you know, I trust the running back there. And then the productivity was not nearly as strong as when Taylor was in the backfield. So um, I, I also, I, I agree. I think he'll make a jump, but I'm, I just don't know if he's going to be able to break through the top four that we have here. Um, okay. Let's do one more. Um, we're, we're bumping up on an hour. So uh, maybe we'll continue the conversation here with the tight ends and tackles and we can go talk defense a little bit later, uh, but let's do wide receivers and, I'm going – well, let's make an exception here. We'll have three or four wide receivers ultimately in our all Pac-12 preseason team. So I think we can be a little bit more um, – less judicious in terms of the, the wide receivers because there's a lot, and, and I just think there's some really strong talent here. Um, so, West Coast, who are a couple guys that you want to bring to the table? Yeah, USC is absolutely stacked at receiver this year. I don't think it's even talked about enough, uh, but uh, Eamon Roth and Brown, Tyler Vaughns are both just going to be – uh, 1,000 plus yard guys. They're amazing. Um, that's probably the top of my board. After that, uh, Frank Darby, Arizona State, um, was an amazing deep threat. I think that he's going to kind of be the number one guy for ASU this year, which gives him a great opportunity to put up stats. Um, and then at that point, it kind of becomes 
a little tougher to distinguish between people. Um, Stanford has a couple good options with Michael Wilson and Simi Fahoko. Um, Washington has Puka Nakua. Um, so I think that a little harder to say on that, but I'll probably go with uh, Simi Fahoko at Stanford. Okay. Yeah. Like the, the first two wide receivers from USC are no brainers. The interesting thing was, I think it's Drake London, who was the third guy. It was interesting. We were talking with Hithliday and his number is true freshman. He's just like 500 yards and a ton of receptions. Hithliday was talking about how his productivity might drop because of some, some other talent that that's going to get there. So just something to keep an eye on. He's, but he was really fun to watch. Um, I, um, I'm actually going to disagree on Frank Darby and it's not because I think Frank Darby is not a talented player that is, that is not, I think he's going to be an NFL draft pick. I think he's fast. I think he's a long threat. The one, the reason I wouldn't put him in here is because I think that ASU, if there's one area they've recruited incredibly well at, it's at wide receiver. And they got like four, like top 50 wide receivers coming in. Some of them with commitments or offers from Ohio State and Oregon and you know like the top programs Oklahoma etc I think they actually might play a bigger role in in actually not not forcing the action with Darby because Darby could be hit or miss last year I think sometimes he'd have big games and sometimes he'd have okay games and I think that's fine like if you're if you're an ASU fan like I actually I actually don't want Darby as my top option. I want him as somebody that can go deep and somebody that's a threat while we have some people that have been a little bit more that are likely to be more liable, but um, that could be, that could be a little bit of a hot take. Uh, what do you think? West Coast? You know, I completely agree. Um, there is, I think that going back to what you said about the USC situation uh, intrigued me too with, you know, Drake London. I think that, um, he really is maybe from like a pure talent standpoint, one of the best in the Pac-12. And I think that USC kind of throughout the receiving core is just completely loaded. Um, so it kind of brings to the point, and, you know, it's like sometimes it's like, you know, production matters when we talk about these lists, but there's definitely guys under the radar who are just super talented. Um, and with Arizona State, yeah, I mean, I, I – hard to distinguish how they're going to kind of run things at the receiver standpoint and Frank Darby was inconsistent um but he could kind of have that IU breakout season which is kind of where why I put him on the list uh and kind of why I think that he might just be that big time guy oh totally like there is a scenario where he um is one of the top three receivers in the country and there's a scenario where he gets 700 yards and like eight touchdowns and the ball is spread out among other people too. So yeah, totally, totally get where you're coming from. Rob, your thoughts on Darby and on, uh, Fihoko. I mean, I like Darby. Uh, and I think that, I, I think that they feature him, you know, even if you're rotating those young guys through, I think Darby still spends, you know, most of his time on the field, um, and gets a lot of targets. Um, and he, he would be helped too by having, you know, somebody else. Cause I mean, part of what made Darby dangerous is that you also had to account for Ayuk. Yeah. Um, if they're able to, if they're able to, you know, feature Darby, but also have somebody else, you know, dangerous out there, I think that would really help him. Um, I'm just not, I mean, we'll see you with Stanford, right? Like Mills played okay last season. I know like Max isn't here to defend the honor of Davis Mills right now, <laughs> but um, and I like Tanner McKee, the quarterback that they're getting back from the Mormon mission. 
um, who might be a threat to unseat Mills actually uh, in in camp. But I mean, we'll see. There, that Stanford offense was really bad last season. Even um, even when Costello was back, he wasn't as good as he'd been in prior years. Uh, you do expect them to to maybe have a little bit of growth. They have they have some they have some you know they have some players coming back this year. But I'm I'm just I'm I'm kind of out on the Stanford wide receivers right now. Um, some names I would add in I would add in Katie Nixon from Colorado because I think Katie Nixon is going to get all of the balls thrown his way. Um, and I also think switching over to that Chiaverini offense, um, I think that he. He does tend to feature a lot of short throws, um, which does help Nixon a lot. I think, um, you know, you know where, where they'll feature him. Um, and then I think it's an interesting because I, I, I do like Jalen Dixon at Utah. Um, but I think Britton Covey gets I think he gets a lot of touches. And I don't know. I'm not not all of those are going to be catches i think britain covey gets a lot of touches on um running plays because uh i think ludwig's gonna like lean into some of the flex bone type stuff that he runs um and covey's gonna get uh some rushes uh along with the two that are gonna be in there so those are i mean there's there's guys that are like still under the radar you know like like you know johnny johnson that we haven't talked about or tay martin at washington state that could also have big years yeah well let's let's talk about those because because i disagree on some of those names which is which is good because oftentimes we'll agree on everything um everybody cool with johnny johnson and tay martin moving forward because <laughs> i just think that those guys are like automatic what do you think west coast uh i mean yeah i'm part of that moving forward i think that um you know they're going to be most likely the two top guys on their rosters um so they're going to put up production for sure with uh with Stanford, so I like Fajoko. I'm gonna vote to move him forward because I think it's worth talking about him more. And when Max comes on, it'll be interesting to, to have that conversation. Another name with Stanford is Michael Wilson, who I liked, uh, young guy. Um, again, that offense was kind of a mess. So, <laughs> but um, I, I I actually don't. I'm not gonna vote for him. I'm not gonna throw him. But just kind of an honorable mention of him as somebody that can really break through. The one thing, Rob, you had mentioned um, Dixon over at Utah. I think Brian Thompson is the one to look out for. I think that kid's a star. Like that guy in very limited minutes was just like, he was the guy that I've wanted Utah to have. I'm like, you know, it's, it's, I, I might've already mentioned this and made this joke, but it's the, um, it's, uh, uh, the, um, oh my gosh, I forget the movie. Hold on one sec. <laughs> um, it's the once upon in Holly, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, where like he has the beer can and the cigarette, and he points at the TV. Like that was me with Brian Thompson. I'm like that, yeah, there he is. They finally found him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which wide receiver steps up, in, in addition to Brent Cuthy, of course. Um, so I, I actually, I wouldn't put Dixon on the list. Um, I think Puka Nakua is somebody that we should definitely keep moving forward. What, what do you think, Rob, with Puka? I mean, he's interesting because he, he had such limited playing time, right? Like, it, it is still almost all on um, hype, right? And I, I say that as, like, I, mean, I, I don't know that it's necessarily undeserved. It's just he we, we've seen so little of him um, play. Now, what, what we saw, we liked. I mean, I, I liked what we saw when he got in uh, into the game. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd, I would do it because I, I think he – I think he gets a lot of snaps and I think he's got talent and, you know, I, I think that the offense, I'm not wild about the Donovan hire, but I think it'll be an improvement over what they were doing with Bush Hamdan. 
and they lose a ton of their like their old school wide receivers were um yeah west coast i know you followed washington it seems like the the older guys were pushed out kind of as the season went along and the younger guys stepped up and i know nakua got injured which was a total bummer uh but do you think we should move him forward what do you think about nakua yeah i think that he has a good chance to be washington's leading receiver next year he's extremely physical for a receiver you know i think that if you guys watched that UW Arizona game, uh, that was kind of like his coming out party where UW put him in and it kind of just opened up the offense all of a sudden. And he was just making like circus catches, hard to bring down. Um, so let's we'll see how he rebounds from the injury. But I think his uh, ceiling is really high. I mean, he could be a first round pick. So I, I'm definitely down for moving him forward. Okay. I mean, cool. a lot of guys, a lot of guys look good against Arizona. To be fair, <laughs> that, that is all for sure. <laughs> and Colorado, I'm I'm coming for you, Hithliday. By the way, I'm going on to the Quack Twelve podcast to talk about Arizona and Colorado, and I like gave Colorado like a semi back massage just to play devil's advocate. <laughs> like, I don't really think they're going to be that good. Uh, you could throw all over that secondary. Um, here, here are three more names, and then um, if you guys have any anybody else, let's talk about them. Uh, Nico Ramigo, I think is how you pronounce his name, the wide receiver at Cal, who ended up being the top guy there now Cal's bringing in some pretty solid wide receivers in addition to him so it'll be interesting to see if he breaks through um I have Felton at UCLA and Kyle Phillips also from UCLA who kind of had a sneaky uh good year and I put those guys on the list because let's assume that Dorian Thompson Robinson isn't the quarterback at UCLA (laughs) like I think maybe their productivity goes up a little higher um West Coast what do you think about those three names yeah I think that those are some good call outs uh Felton's interesting though because you know, I think that he could end up being more of a running back this year um, due to the need with Kelly uh, leaving for the NFL. But uh, he's kind of like that, like, Borgie hybrid where he kind of do, does both. Um, so we're kind of just going to see how much kind of playing time he gets at each position. Um, and then the other guys, I mean, I think that both have bright ceilings also, but it's hard to – put him already in like the you know i think it's good to get him the call outs but uh you know I, I don't know if they're like ready to be like pac 12 stars at this point yeah what do you think about those guys uh rob i mean i love felton i love felton he was like he was one of the few things that actually really worked on that ucla offense last season uh, but I don't, I, I mean, it's sort of like, I mean, like, where's like, he might split his touches so evenly between receptions and, um, you know, rushes that, uh, you know, he might not, he might not end up uh, ending up on the radar. And, um, I've totally forgotten who's the other guy already. <laughs> uh, Kyle Phillips and then, uh, Nico Ramigo. Oh yeah. Kyle Phillips. I mean, I, I, I like Kyle Phillips. I just, I don't, I don't have confidence in, UCLA's passing attack for him to get a ton of numbers like with with Felton like I'm sure he'll also get the rushes um and then like we'll see on that Cal offense like I just I I feel like they I want to I want to see how they distribute the ball before I would put any of their receivers you know on an all Pac-12 list um because I don't I don't know how they're I don't know how tilted they're going to be with Musgrave um, you know, and how, how much they're going to distribute the ball. Around. Cause it's, it's like the joke that we used to have about, or that you had about, um, Mike Leach being a socialist, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, like it is, is, is garbage going to gel with Ramigo enough that he really becomes like a featured wide receiver or is there a featured wide receiver in the offense, uh, in that sense? Okay. 
Well, let, let's wrap it up here. So here are the names that we have. For quarterback, Keaton Slovis, Chase Garbers, Jaden Daniels, and the Wazoo quarterback, whoever that might be. Um, running back, Max Borgie, C.J. Verdell, Jamar Jefferson, Richard Newton, Chris Brown. Wide receiver, Tyler Vons, Amon Ross St. Brown, Demetric Felton. Um, I, I put both of the, the Utah guys in just to just it'll be fun to see what max thinks about those guys uh but definitely johnny johnson tay martin at wazoo puka nakua simi fahoko and then i already mentioned frank darby um let's wrap it up there i think that's a good and and by the way if you're listening and and we miss somebody and you want us to talk about them next podcast let us know there's somebody in those you know in those three positions that you think we should add and and discuss and throw around as you know possible all pack 12 preseason guys would love to cover them um thanks for listening again Follow follow West Coast football, uh, West Coast CFB at West Coast CFB. Um, anything else you want to you want to plug? Because you you really do like one one of my favorite follows and dig your writing as well. So um, you know the world's your oyster. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys, and appreciate it. It was fun talking with you guys. Um, and for the followers, just yeah, check out the Twitter page if you love Pac-12 or Mountain West football. Um, and check out the West website westcoastcfb.com if. Uh, looking for some Pac-12 centric articles as well. All right. Well, oh, Rob, anything else you want to you want to talk about or pitch right now? No, the previews roll on. The season may not roll on, but the previews do. <laughs> that means that you're going to be undefeated, right? Like it's going to it's going <laughs> to play out exactly as you thought it was. Um, <laughs> I'll have to sim- like I'll have to end up like simulating a season just to like entertain myself if this happens. <laughs> um, all right, guys, stick with us. We'll be up next week, and uh, and looking forward to continuing covering the conference. We might have to move to basketball a little quicker than we thought. Uh, I, I do have my finger on that pulse too, so um, we're gonna we're gonna be flexible here at uh, Twelve Pack Radio. Uh, but thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.